Okay, Jesse, last week's episode was all Gucci. What's the story this Thanksgiving? When a beloved young mother vanishes on Thanksgiving Day, the authorities rush to find out her last movements and who exactly might benefit from her absence. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey, and this is Love Murder. Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about broken hearts, broken bones, and love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. And as always, if you enjoy this show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app, subscribe and review to help new people discover the show. And gosh darn it, you guys are just so great at that. I have to tell you. (laughs) You really are. You really, really, really are. I say it every episode and every episode you exceed my expectations. So Thank you very, very, very much for everything you've done for us. I mean, it has been a crazy year. Andy, I was feeling a little nostalgic last night. And so while I was brushing my teeth, I listened (laughs) to the intro from our Thanksgiving episode last year. And we were so sad because you had to cancel our Thanksgiving traditional visit. Babe, I literally like ugly cried the whole way from Charleston to Charlotte. And then I ugly cried on the flight the whole way home because I had to edit the episode that we recorded before we were supposed to be together. And we were (laughs) so excited. And I just sat on the plane with my mask and my shield on and was crying, but I couldn't wipe the tears because I couldn't get under the shield and above the mask. And it was so sad. It was like the saddest travel day ever. It was my only pregnancy meltdown though. And I think it was deserved. I think that was very deserved. Not like me who melted down over a sandwich in my first pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) If you are new to the show, Andy and I are best friends and we live in the opposite sides of the country. And every year for like a decade now, we've done Thanksgiving together. So not being together on our first Thanksgiving in a million years and not seeing each other in real life our entire pregnancies when we were pregnant at the same time was really, really hard for us. And also, I want you to know that we usually were a little quicker to the story and we'll get there. But I wanted to say also that that was the episode we announced our pregnancy. So it was it was really meaningful. A year ago, we had a really special episode. That's crazy that we had just announced it a year ago. Yeah. And now we have eight months old. Almost nine. Yeah. And by the time this airs, we will be together. Yeah. So all is right in the world again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a very special Thanksgiving episode today. You might recall this case from our thanks killing mini bonus episodes last time. But obviously, we only really read an article about it and very briefly discussed it. And I thought that this case and the person at the center of this case really deserved a full episode. And so did my other extremely good, my other bestie, Hannah M, who brought this to my attention again. So thank you so much, Hannah. I love you too. And let's get into it. What do you say? Let's do it. Cheryl Barrett was feeling 
less than grateful as she prepared for bed Thanksgiving night 2018. Though she had enjoyed a feast with her family in Washington State, there had been two very important people over a thousand miles away in Colorado that she missed, her daughter Kelsey and one-year-old granddaughter Kaylee. Cheryl had spoken to Kelsey that morning at 9 a.m., and Kelsey had sounded happy. She peppered her mother for tips on how to make some of her favorite family dishes, cinnamon buns and her mother's famous bread dip. And she made a plan to head to the store for last-minute ingredients. Kelsey was delighted for the holiday season to kick off. Each memory with baby Kaylee was one to treasure. Cheryl remained cautiously optimistic for Kelsey. She wanted her daughter to be happy and secure in her relationship with Kaylee's father. That was Kelsey's fiance, Patrick Frazee. But Cheryl had witnessed some serious red flags, including the fact that Patrick's mother, Sheila, had always treated Kelsey with contempt and scorn. So she wondered just how happy the holiday would be with the whole family together. That would be concerning as a mother. You don't Uh, want your child going to a family dinner she's not welcome at. No. Especially when she's the mother of like their baby as well. Like not okay. Yeah. Kelsey was mostly unworried. She did love Patrick and she felt that everyone would put Kaylee first. Sheila might have never warmed up to Kelsey, but she sure did love her granddaughter. Cheryl had been eager to hear how the dinner had gone, but Kelsey hadn't returned her calls or texts for the entirety of the holiday. This was unlike Kelsey, who was extremely considerate and very close with her mother. As Cheryl's intuition raised doubts in her mind, she tried to go to sleep, assured that she would catch up with Kelsey the following day. But Cheryl's texts and calls would continue to go unanswered. And then, when she did finally get a response from Kelsey's phone, it wouldn't sound anything like her daughter at all. Earlier that day, Patrick had also worried or probably more like annoyed his brother, Sean, when he arrived hours and hours late for the Frazee family Thanksgiving. He did have baby Kaylee in his arms, but mysteriously was without his fiancee, Kelsey. When Sean asked about it, his mother said quickly that Kelsey was never planning to come in the first place. Okay, I must have been like clouded with emotional sadness because I remember his last name, but I do not remember what happened. Oh, I'm so glad you don't remember. No, I think this was like, yeah, I think I was like pretty depressed at this time and obviously like pregnancy brain too, but I do not remember what happened. You will remember one key part of this okay? when I mention it and it'll all click in for you okay. because there was something that was extraordinarily devious and unique and okay. sad. All all of this, this is a very complex case and Kelsey is just such a wonderful person and I'm sure you'll remember that too. So you'll see it. So tell me when it goes off in your head, okay? Okay, 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 yeah. At 4.30 p.m. that same Thanksgiving day, someone in Idaho received a shocking phone call and accepted a depraved request that would lead them down a dark path paved with blood, fire, and deadly secrets. Meanwhile, what Leslie Johnson would remember of that Thanksgiving holiday in 2018 was her security camera app going crazy as it captured the comings and goings of various neighbors, including a sliver of Kelsey Bereth's doorway. She put the phone away to enjoy the holiday and focus on her family, not knowing at the time that some of those security photos would go on to help solve a brutal and tragic mystery. This is the story of the disappearance of Kelsey Barrett. Kelsey Barrett was born and raised on a Moses Lake, Washington hay farm and was a true country girl through and through. 
She had a really close-knit group of childhood friends whom she stayed very, very close to her entire life. They were her best friends. And those friends said that Kelsey was so pretty, one could have expected her to be prissy, but she was just the opposite. She was like such a tomboy, such a good farm girl, such a good worker. She was just not what you expected when you saw this like 5'3", 110-pound cute girl with a sweet smile and bright green eyes. Okay, so like you, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if anyone who knew me, especially my parents, would say that I was a very good farm girl. I think they would say maybe down to earth, a little tomboyish. But as far as actually being good at farm chores, I was a mess. Okay. Yeah. She, unlike me, could bale hay, ride horses, probably not get attacked by pigs, and she could drive tractors with the best of them. She was a loyal friend, a loving daughter, and a good Christian whose pastor described her as responsible, compassionate, kind, and somewhat quiet. One thing everyone could agree upon was that Kelsey was fearless, and she was devoted to accomplishing her sky-high dreams. And her ambitions were literally sky-high because after high school graduation, Kelsey attended a flight program at Big Bend Community College and ultimately became a licensed pilot and accomplished flight instructor. Wow. That's so wild. Cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I watched a couple programs and there is a book, but the title kind of gives something away. So I'm going to save my sources for the end. But I did watch a 48 Hours and a Killer Couples about this. And they said on, I think, the 48 Hours that when she was growing up, she would hang out at her farm and she loved watching the planes fly over her head. Yeah. And she was like, when I grow up, I'm going to do that. So Kelsey's other goal was to live on a farm or a ranch and build a family. Kelsey had loved growing up on a farm and she wanted the same upbringing for her kids. She was also very attracted to the rancher farmer type of guy. So it was kind of like a country boys need only apply, you know? Was this before farmersonly.com? I think it's exactly farmersonly.com because she got online dating in early 2016 when she was 27 years old. And the Killer Couples episode said it was a online dating site meant to serve a rural community. I'm like, yeah. okay, you could just say farmers only. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows Killer Couples. Everybody knows what this is. So yes, I'm pretty darn sure that they met on Farmers Only. Kelsey quickly bonded with 28-year-old Patrick Frazee, who lived on his family's 35-acre ranch in Florissant, Colorado. She was immediately attracted to Patrick's photos. He was a strapping 6'2", 205-pound, dark-haired man with farm muscles. You know, not like those showy gym muscles that don't do anything. These were real man muscles made from picking rocks <laughs> and hauling grain and heaving animals. Oh, my God. An ex-girlfriend of his described Patrick as old school and the last of a dying breed. She said that he was a real cowboy, despite preferring the term cattleman himself. So Patrick raised cattle, trained cattle dogs, he groomed donkeys, and sold horses amongst other farm jobs. Kelsey was instantly smitten, and it was clear that Patrick was equally taken with the flight instructor with the girl-next-door good looks. That spring, Patrick flew out to Washington to meet Kelsey and her family, and the two began a whirlwind romance. By May of that year, still 2016, they were already engaged, and Patrick convinced Kelsey to come live in Colorado with him. Whoa. Super fast, which is a love murder red flag. Oh, yeah. Unless you're Jesse. <laughs> yeah, unless you're me. And it works out. Hey. <laughs> I mean, we don't know yet. 
Nathaniel could still murder me someday. We just, we have Jessica, no stop. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. He would never, guys. He would never. He's wonderful. So Kelsey's family, her parents and her brother Clint, whom she was very, very close to, were happy for her, but they were, of course, alarmed yeah. that it was moving so quickly. And, you know, she lived in Washington with them, and now she's moving far away, and they don't really know this guy that well. Yeah. No, it's a lot. Yeah. And Cheryl became extra concerned when Kelsey told her how Sheila, Patrick's mother, had treated her. So basically the plan was that Kelsey was going to have her own place. And okay. Patrick arranged for her to have a studio apartment for herself. So she didn't have to like live with his mother, you know, and him. Yeah. Who like hates her. Exactly. So the first night, however, that she was in Colorado, her apartment wasn't ready. And so she slept at Patrick's house, which is also his mother's house. And apparently his mother had some big problem with this. And instead of communicating it to her son, when Kelsey came down for breakfast the next morning, her first morning in Colorado, Sheila allegedly started calling her names and verbally attacking her, calling her a prostitute and a hooker. Wow. Not exactly a warm welcome. Coffee with the side of a mean old lady. Yeah, coffee with a side of verbal abuse from your soon-to-be mother-in-law. Yeah. No, thank you. No, no. That is not the best part of waking up with Folgers in my cup. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously they got off on the wrong foot and they never really resolved it. They eventually, after Kaylee was born, had kind of a detente where they, you know, got along well enough to be around each other, but it was never going to be a love fest between these women. Okay. Kelsey got a job as an elite flight instructor who trained Air Force pilots at DOS Aviation, and she absolutely loved it and was a phenomenal employee, despite the fact that she did have to drive an hour each way to get to work, which is a lot. Soon, Kelsey became pregnant with the couple's first child, and it seemed to me that the pregnancy was a bit of a surprise, but a happy one. But it also appeared that Patrick was telling different things to different people about not only his relationship with Kelsey, but also Kaylee's birth. Because his friend Joe Moore, a fellow rancher, said later that Patrick told him that he didn't know Kelsey was even pregnant until she was giving birth. What? Yeah, I would be surprised if this was actually true because I didn't read anywhere else that they were broken up at all during her pregnancy. Obviously, she told her mother about it. She told her mother they were excited about the birth. And also when I was like Googling images of them, I found newborn photos of baby Kaylee with the couple. I mean, and they had to be taken within a week of her birth. Those types of newborn photo sessions, you have to set up way in advance you don't just like call once the baby is born and be able to get an appointment in two days, you know? No, those are like such special, careful moments. <laughs> yeah, I've had two kids and both times I intended to do them and both times I didn't get my shit together. So <laughs> I definitely do not think that he was telling the truth to his friend in this circumstance, which kind of goes to his character where he lies a lot about the circumstances of his relationship and what's going on in his love life. Okay. One thing that was for sure was that Patrick was indeed at the hospital for Kaylee's birth and things took a very scary turn. First of all, Kaylee was born three weeks premature in October of 2017. So that's generally concerning as well. You know, yeah. 
I was born five weeks premature. My mom was terrified all the way to the hospital and during labor that something was going to, you know, go terribly wrong and I wasn't going to survive. Thinking about where I was five weeks before Echo's due date is crazy to think of having her at that time. Oh, yeah. My parents didn't even have the crib put together. Yeah. No, you really count on those last like few weeks as uncomfortable as they are, but to like finish everything. And so when it comes earlier, like, uh. Yeah. And especially you have to worry about their little lungs because that's, you know, the last part that develops and it's so important that they're able to breathe on their own. So Kaylee was having problems because she was three weeks premature and they had to remove her to, you know, take her to the NICU and... Patrick went absolutely apeshit. He was screaming at the nursing staff. He was telling them that they couldn't take his child, even though she needed medical attention. He was saying that it's so important for a baby to bond with its parents right away as soon as they're born, like that he absolutely wouldn't let them take the baby. Okay, dude. Yeah. I think that her living is more important than a little skin to skin right away. Yeah. We could ask my mom. Yeah, <laughs> we, we can't ask your mom. I think she'd agree. Yes. Andy's mom is a NICU nurse. Along with all of the other, I know there's a few amazing coworkers of my mom who listen to the show too. Oh yeah, shout out to all the amazing nurses in general and, you know, NICU nurses, especially, especially in COVID times. You guys are all heroes. We love you. Hi, Chiquita. Basically, this went down and he got so aggressive that social services were called. And when social services arrived, they still couldn't calm him down. That's crazy. So things got so scary that social services actually temporarily put Kaylee in foster care while they did an investigation because Patrick was so scary and Kelsey was so scared of him that they believed Patrick was abusing Kelsey. Whoa. Could you imagine having that be speculated of like you as a couple? That's like No, I also, I just can't imagine my partner losing their mind. Flying off the handlebars that much. Yeah. When I have a premature baby that I have just given birth to and even the most smooth deliveries are extremely physically and emotionally taxing. Yeah. So to have just given birth to a baby you're worried about and then have your partner do this, even if he wasn't abusive to you normally, but just this moment creating that drama and threatening nurses. Yeah. No, I I don't know what I would do. I really don't. And her parents and family aren't there at all. So I think Cheryl flew out for the birth. She was not in the hospital room for this, but I think she was in the area. Okay. So they did eventually obviously get Kaylee back and Kelsey did tell the authorities that he was not abusive. This was just a moment and something he felt strongly about. Because he's educated on premature babies and what the correct procedure is. Uh, Yeah, clearly. It's probably because he dealt with calves and cows that he is basing this on. And I mean, he's correct in a healthy baby. Sure, you should do skin to skin and and the baby should bond with your parents, but not if it's a premature baby that needs medical attention, obviously. No. So Cheryl was horrified when she heard about this because I don't think she saw it, but she might have, you know, it wasn't completely clear. And she still had major misgivings a year later when Patrick was making jokes about his rage and behavior at Kaylee's first birthday party, going so far as to tell another partygoer that he should have killed the nurse who took the baby. Um, what? Yeah. Wow. 
The birthday party comments were just the most recent in a long list of red flags that Cheryl had observed throughout the couple's relationship. Another being that despite co-parenting Kaylee, Patrick still lived with his mother while Kelsey and Kaylee lived in a two-bedroom condo in Woodland Park. So that's odd. Basically, when Kelsey first moved out there, everyone in this involved was somewhat of a Christian. I think Kelsey and her family more than Patrick. Okay. But it did make sense to them. Like, they're going to live apart until they get married. But then Cheryl's like, you guys had a baby together. The horse is already out of the barn. Exactly. Come on. (laughs) You might as well live together and raise the baby together. I was going to say, now it's more important for them to have a family structure and unit for the baby and to help each other rather than like what God envisions as like the ideal path to marriage and having a family. Like, you guys already skipped that part. Sorry. 100%. And when she brought it up with Kelsey, Kelsey was just like, well, we're trying to save money because Patrick wants to buy a ranch and it's just easier for him to live on the ranch, which also just doesn't make sense to me because he would live in your bedroom, ostensibly. You wouldn't need more than a two-bedroom condo. So you're already paying for a two-bedroom condo. Yeah. And so Kelsey's parents even offered to buy them a ranch or give them a substantial down payment towards a ranch because they really wanted Kelsey to have the dream she had envisioned for a family, which was, you know, husband, ranch, babies, you know? Yep. And Patrick turned it down. He said that he didn't want anyone thinking that he couldn't buy a farm for his own family. So he was not, he was going to turn down their generosity. So Kelsey's mother and best friends knew that she was getting somewhat tired of the situation. She really, really loved Patrick. She desperately wanted to make it work with her baby's father, but she really craved a more traditional life. And she didn't know when it was ever going to happen. Like Patrick kept telling her they were going to get married. They were going to move to a farm, but it was just not happening, not happening, not happening. So she was getting kind of tired of waiting and frustrated with the situation. And some of Kelsey's friends suspected that Patrick was at least emotionally abusive, if not more abusive in other ways, and that he definitely seemed manipulative and he had a lot of control over Kelsey. Okay. Yeah. She wasn't exactly the type of person that would, you know, let her goals go to the wayside for somebody else. And she had always imagined, you know, being married before having a baby, you know, getting a farm and so it was definitely seemed like he was controlling the situation by not letting the relationship progress, you know? She also was kind of essentially a, a single mom at this point because she's the one who's with the baby all night, taking care of the baby. And then she would drive all the way out to Patrick's farm, drop the baby off, drive an hour for work, work all day, drive an hour back, then go and pick up the baby once again. It's just exhausting. Yeah. So despite this, on Thanksgiving Day in 2018, it did seem to Cheryl, who talked to her on the phone, that Kelsey was pretty happy, actually, and she was making an effort to be a family. I think she was really looking forward to this holiday season as a time for them to hopefully turn around their relationship and look forward to the next year in which hopefully they'd get married and, you know, move out. So security cameras captured Kelsey at Safeway around noon with baby Kaylee in her infant car seat in the cart. She purchased some ingredients and a poinsettia, apparently gearing up for Christmas, as well as some sweet potatoes. Kelsey also shot Patrick a text message telling Patrick that she had bought the sweet potatoes in case he wanted her to make his favorite sweet potato casserole. No one would report seeing or speaking to Kelsey for the rest of the day. No one other than Patrick. 
So after Thanksgiving and a few more days pass with only a couple bizarre, uncharacteristic texts with no phone calls at all, Cheryl knew something was very, very wrong. So did Kelsey's brother, Clint, who lived in Tacoma. So Clint and Kelsey are very close. They're each each other's only sibling. They bonded over their love of Starbucks coffee, going so crazy as to call each other Starbuckians. Okay, and their brother and sister? Their brother and sister. Okay. And apparently they like loved talking about when the new like holidays flavors were going to come out. Yeah. They both like go and pick it up and then talk on the phone while they had the new flavors. So So cute. It's really, really cute. So he had been waiting to talk about some holiday drink that he wanted to try at Starbucks with her and she wasn't getting back to him. And then he had also sent her a special Christmas ornament for baby Kaylee. And he saw that it had been delivered, but she had never even sent so much as a text message to say thank you. Yeah, weird. Which is very unlike her. So he also knew that something was super duper wrong. Cheryl, of course, didn't particularly like Patrick because of everything that had happened between him and Kelsey. So she hadn't wanted to call him at first, but finally she was getting desperate. It had been like, a week since she last yeah. heard from yeah. Kelsey. So she has to call Patrick. I mean, if I go like two days without a picture of Echo to my parents, they're like, is everything okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, she's Absolutely. fine. I'm busy. <laughs> like, But they, I can't imagine a week during the holidays and having your daughter be with someone who you don't like. I mean, that's a whole other issue that our parents don't have to worry about. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Yeah, so she's really upset. So she calls Patrick and then she is just floored when Patrick told her that the couple had actually broken up the night before Thanksgiving. Uh, Yeah, as a result, he had no idea where she was. Cheryl is gobsmacked. She's like, hey, I talked to her on 9 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day. You said you broke up with her the night before. This doesn't make any sense. She didn't tell me you broke up. She would have absolutely told me. She tells me everything. And she said that she was like making Thanksgiving to have Thanksgiving dinner with you. So what is going on? And he's like, I just don't know. I don't know. We did break up. I mean, maybe she didn't want to tell you. Look, I got to (laughs) go. And she's like, no, 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 Patrick. You can't just go. Like, this is crazy. I haven't heard from her in a week. Can you at least call her? Can you try to call her? Can you you know, reach out to her. You have the baby. So can you tell her that you need to talk to her about something about Kaylee? Because she'll absolutely get back to you if you say it's about the baby and just tell me if she does. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I will later. I have to go uh, tend to the cows. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly what Cheryl thought. She was like, gets off the phone because he basically hangs up on her. And she's like, that is the mother of your child. Even if you did break up, you're not going to be concerned at all that the mother of your child is missing and you're like, I have to go tend to my cows. (sighs) So Cheryl wanted to call the police at this point, but she didn't know if it would be taken seriously yet. Obviously, adults were allowed to go off the grid, not answer a few calls from their parents. So she and Clint actually decided to go to Colorado, investigate themselves, and hopefully they thought, you know, Maybe Kelsey was just having a hard time after the breakup and she didn't want to talk about it, but she was fine. And they'd go to Colorado and it would just be like, oh, you guys worry too much. I'm okay. I'm just licking my wounds, you know? Okay. 
And then in the case that it wasn't like that, at least they would be local to follow up with the local police, you know? Okay. So on December 1st, 2018, Clint and Cheryl pulled into the parking lot of Kelsey's condo. At this point, she had been missing for nine days. The first thing they noticed was that both of Kelsey's cars were in the driveway. But when they let themselves in, she was not there. Where would she go without her vehicles? Cheryl also noted that the thermostat was set to 72 degrees. Kelsey, just like the rest of the family, always set the thermostat low while traveling to save money and energy on heating. She also found Kelsey's luggage, toothbrush, and makeup bag in the house. Uh, weird. Yeah, you wouldn't travel without those things. No. There was absolutely no sign of struggle. In fact, the condo was suspiciously clean. Cheryl noticed cleaning streaks on the fridge and the TV as though they had been hastily wiped down. So it's weird that it's extra clean, but it's also weird how it's cleaned because Cheryl knew that Kelsey would have never left like visible streaks on her furniture. Exactly. Yeah. She also found a plate of uncovered rock hard cinnamon buns that had been clearly left out since Kelsey made them on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, God. Alarm bells were going off in Cheryl's head, but at that moment, she and Clint couldn't find anything that was clearly displaying that there had been foul play. But the next morning, when Clint searched the bathroom, he discovered that there was blood next to the toilet. And when he called Cheryl over to look at it, she was like, you know what else? The bath mat is missing. So they decided at that point, like, there was enough that they should absolutely involve the police at this point. Yeah. The cops came to interview Cheryl and Clint, and they agreed that something was completely off. All of her personal items were in the house. The cars were there, but the keys were not in the house. They couldn't find the keys to the vehicles. And the blood indicated that there could be more to this missing person's case than she just wanted to, you know, get away or travel for a little bit. Yeah. Which also, Cheryl made it very clear that that wasn't Kelsey's style at all. Like, that was not a coping mechanism. She's not one of those people that just, like, takes off. And she certainly wouldn't when she has a one-year-old daughter. No. Come on. So they interviewed Patrick almost immediately. And he reiterated that after some soul-searching on Wednesday night, the couple had decided to go their separate ways. Patrick said that his mother had never liked Kelsey and it made family life extremely difficult. He said that ultimately they had realized that their lifestyles were too different. Patrick claimed that he had returned all of Kelsey's belongings on Wednesday evening, including an extra house key, a car key, and a handgun he had been keeping for her. A handgun. A handgun, which of course raised the detective's eyebrows. He did kind of try to insinuate that he had removed this handgun from Kelsey's house before because he was afraid that she would use it to kill herself. I think he's trying to implicate like a story. Suicide. Yeah, Yeah. a story in which she like disappeared and maybe committed suicide. Yeah. So he said that the last time that he saw Kelsey in person was when he had collected Kaylee in the alleyway outside of Kelsey's condo on Thanksgiving Day, which was November 22nd. He did say, however, that he had spoken to her on the phone and he had texted her until like, three or four days after that. And eventually she had stopped responding to him. The detectives immediately got a bad taste in their mouths about Patrick. He was straightforward 
but he was totally blasé about the mother of his child having gone missing. It just didn't seem right. He was just kind of like, yeah, we broke up. And, you know, I don't think she's been, you know, mentally feeling that great. And she probably took off and, you know, I have the baby. So it's all good, you know? Yeah, I feel like I probably made some joke about him being a blasé frase. <laughs> I don't think you did, but that is a good one. I like that. Yeah, Mr. Blase Fraze over here yeah. was not impressing the police. No, he's got to get it together. Meanwhile, Cheryl talked to Ray, Kelsey's boss at DOS Aviation, and discovered that Kelsey had called out of work after Thanksgiving for the week, saying that she was traveling to visit a sick grandmother. Now, she had texted him to call out. She did not actually talk to him. Okay. And Cheryl knew for a fact, obviously, that there was no sick grandmother. Yeah, like... Patrick couldn't even think of like a actual realistic alibi. Or just say, I need to get away. I just had a breakup. I need to get away from my mental health for a little while, you know? Yeah, you're going to make up a family member. So Ray pointed out that the message was unlike Kelsey's normal text. Kelsey, like myself, loves to pepper conversations with exclamation points and emojis. Yep. And there was none. There was no punctuation and there was no emojis. And she's the type of person that literally would put an emoji on the end of every statement. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So he thought that was super weird. And he also told Cheryl, because Cheryl had told him that Patrick was saying that the couple had broken up and she was like, did Kelsey mention this to you? And he said, no. In fact, she had just RSVP'd for the company holiday party with Patrick as her plus one. Oh, the boss is really helping out right now. Really helping out. Yeah, there's no way that she would have done that if they were breaking up. So Cheryl and Ray share this information with the police. And the police also, upon a search of Kelsey's condo, found the Safeway receipt. So they were able to pull up the security footage from the grocery store trip. And it's clear from the behavior displayed by Kelsey in the security footage that she doesn't seem to be going on the run. She doesn't seem to be planning to take off. I mean, she's buying ingredients for Thanksgiving dinner. She's texting Patrick about what she's going to make. She's buying a poinsettia. Like if she was planning on taking off or killing herself, why would she be buying Christmas decorations? Yeah, no, no one would. Yeah, she's not exactly like over in the travel toothbrush lane, no. you know, getting all of her travel size condiments. Wait, what are they called? Travel size Toiletries. Whoa. Yes, toiletries. Condiments for your body and face. <laughs> so, yeah, the cops are very, very suspicious. So they pull Kelsey's phone records and they see that she allegedly last sent a text to Patrick on November 25th and her phone pinged in Idaho at that time. They're like, Idaho, what on earth could she be doing up there? So they actually send a local Idaho sheriff to check out the exact location of the last place that Kelsey cell pinged. Okay. And it's next to a ravine on a road that's basically in complete wilderness. Okay. And there's nothing there. Because Kelsey was a pilot, they investigated whether she could have crashed a plane somewhere nearby. Okay. But there's no wreckage. There's no flight records, which obviously you have to, you know, if you're going to sign out a plane and, you know, take off, there would be some record of you leaving. Yeah, you can't just run away with the plane. No, yeah. She doesn't own her own plane. So this wouldn't be something where she just took off. So at this point, they confiscate Patrick's phone. And now it's December 4th, 2018. 
So the day after they confiscate his phone, he went to a credit union to try to pull their security camera footage for November 22nd, which was Thanksgiving Day that year. And at this point, the disappearance has already been in the media. So the bank teller actually knew who he was. And he even said that. He's like, do you know who I am? And she's like, oh, your fiance is missing. And he's like, yep, that's why I'm here. I was here on the 22nd and I want to pull your security camera footage to prove to the police that I was here and not, you know, potentially doing anything to Kelsey. And the bank teller was like, wait, but I read that she was texting and calling people up till the 25th. So why are you looking for something on the 22nd to prove your alibi? And when she questioned him, he got super pissed about it. And he was like, well, never mind, just give me the footage. And she's like, okay, well, actually, we have like one of those systems where like every week, the footage is like dumped and, you know, we start over again. And so he got like super angry with her and like stormed out of the credit union. And of course, the teller called the police right away. And then after that, he went to a Verizon store where he tried to ask the clerk, can he do this? I mean, I guess it's a free country. He's trying to establish his own alibi, which, honey, the cops are going to do that. They're going to look into everything you said and your whereabouts. You don't have to do it yourself. But he tells the Verizon clerk that he wants the Verizon clerk to somehow erase the contents of his phone remotely. Like it's in the police custody and he's trying to get this poor Verizon clerk to like delete his text messages from far away. <laughs> and so the guy's like, I, uh, I don't think I can do that. And he's like, okay, well, can you like check with somebody? And so the Verizon clerk knew who he was too and was terrified. He's like, this guy's a potential killer. He's getting really angry with me. So he's like, I'm going to go check and I also have to go to the bathroom. And he like locked himself in the bathroom until Patrick left. (laughs) I mean, kind of smart. So smart. And I also would be scared if I was alone in a store with a guy who was potentially a murderer. No, that's terrifying. And he did the right thing. Yes. And he also called the police afterwards. So the police are like, what are you doing, bro? You're like going all around and intimidating salespeople and clerks everywhere you go. On the same day that Patrick's kind of doing a tour of the town. (laughs) Tour day, tour day aggro. Yes, exactly. On that same day, crime scene analysts forensically searched Kelsey's condo using a luminol-like spray called Blue Star Forensic Latent Bloodstain Regent. You sounding just like forensic files right now. (laughs) Oh my God, that's the highest compliment, Andrea. Really sexy. I'll just record me saying it just like forensic files and we can listen to it when we go to bed. Perfect. So they discovered a pile of blood in the bathroom. Obviously. It was on the toilet, bathtub, towel rack, wall, and the ceiling above the toilet. And obviously the math mat that's missing. Mm-hmm. There was also blood spray on the vanity cabinet, the bathroom doorknob, the door hinges. Ugh. And an outlet, an outlet plate. And another test determined that the blood found next to the toilet was fresh. Like apparently there's another test that you can take where if the stick turns like a brown, they can say that it was very old blood. And if it turns pink, it proves that it was like within the last few days. Okay. Given this new physical evidence and Patrick's propensity for rage, which he is out displaying while they're doing this. Yep. 
the investigators now begin treating the case less as a missing person situation and more like a possible assault and homicide. So at this point, the police did do a press conference with Cheryl, where they had Cheryl appeal to the public to come forward with any information that could help find Kelsey. Just, just, it's so heartbreaking. It was on the killer couples and I think it was on the 48 hours as well, but it's just always so devastating to see the parent or the loved one, like just breaking down, appealing to anyone that can help find their baby, you know? Andy, you'll never guess how much subscription companies charge you every month. On average, it's nearly $200. That's insane. Yep, it's true. Luckily, there is a new tool for fighting back against scammy subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, so you don't have to. Truebill empowers you to save more, spend less, see everything, and take back control of your financial life. Over the pandemic, I think we all added a bunch of new subscriptions that now we don't really use as much. I know for our house, Truebill has helped us save a ton of money we'd rather be spending on things that we actually want, or let's be real, things that the baby needs. Oh, absolutely. And if that isn't bad enough, I'm pretty sure my ex was using my Netflix subscription for years. This would have definitely uh, helped me cut that off a lot sooner. Thank goodness there's a company now out there that helps with this, like Truebill. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped save them over $100 million. Whoa. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash lovemurder. Go right now, Truebill.com slash lovemurder. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash lovemurder. Andy, I don't know about you, but I am always struggling to find cute, stylish jewelry that is both fun but still reasonably priced. Totally. I love changing my style around and having different jewelry to match my mood, but it's so hard to find great pieces that work together or independently. That's why we're so excited to tell you about Ana Luisa. Ana Luisa creates chic, everyday, timeless jewelry that doesn't trade quality for affordability. And speaking of not making bad trade-offs, I love the mission behind Ana Luisa. They are 100% carbon and water neutral as a company, so you know that when you're wearing their pieces, it's something that you can be really proud of. That's amazing. I think it's so cool that a jewelry company is taking such a proactive and positive stance on such an important issue. Absolutely. But still, at the end of the day, the part I like most is just how great the jewelry actually is. I recently got two really dainty rings, and I love wearing them on individual fingers or stacking them. They go incredibly well together. Jesse, you know I love minimal stacking moments. Cute on their own, but also so easy to combine in a way that takes your looks to the next level. Plus, could there be a more perfect stocking stuffer? That's so true. As you can tell, guys, we think this is a great company. And with the holidays coming up, it's the perfect time to check them out. Either for gifts for someone you love or, hey, a gift for yourself. That's right. I absolutely recommend checking out Ana Luisa and now couldn't be a better time. Their pieces start at $39 and they're currently running the biggest sale of the year. 
You can get 60% off the second item if you go to shop.analuisa.com slash lovemurder. That's shop.analuisa.com slash lovemurder. Anna with one N. So it kind of blows up after this press conference. It's not exactly like as big as like the Gabby Petito case, but it, it did elicit that same response. I mean, we're talking about classic, you know, white missing woman syndrome here. We've got a beautiful, thin, white, young mother who's missing. Yeah. Especially given that she's the mother of a one-year-old baby. It's just one that's like tailor fit for the media to explode, you know? Also, could you imagine ever like leaving your one-year-old? No, absolutely not. Never. Like I just, especially with how their life was operating, like she was still working all the time. And then the minute she was on or off work, she was with the baby, you know? So there's just the, the way that their lifestyle was set up. There's no way that she would have ever left on her own accord, no matter what happened with them. And that's what her mother said too. If anything, if they broke up, she would have taken even closer to the baby, taken the baby, you know, gone back to Washington to raise the baby with her family. Yep. So with the media scrutiny comes obviously more of a public outcry for action and for this case to be solved. So the FBI get involved at this point. And Leslie Jackson, Kelsey's neighbor, also comes forward because when she heard the news about what day this happened on and what was going on with her neighbor, she pulled her security footage. And she has a security system that is motion detected. So unfortunately, there wasn't like continuous video of the entire day like you'd get with like a CCTV or something. Okay, It is just like snaps of the video capturing when there's action somewhere. Like the rain camera. Yes. And also Kelsey's door was not an intended target of this. It was for her own, you know, door and security camera purposes. So it didn't always capture everyone. Like somebody had to come to the door in a very specific way, or there had to be enough motion at the door to really capture them. Yeah. So they know that they don't have a complete picture, but they at least have some pictures. And what they do have is just enough to prove that Patrick is lying through his teeth or his face off. Is that a Nick Cage reference? I just like sprinkled it in. That's a good one. You know, you haven't done one of those in a really long time. Yeah. It's a thanks. I know if people were playing a drinking game to us, they'd be thirsty at this point. Yep. So yeah, there were three clear pictures and timestamps from the 22nd. There was just before noon when Kelsey and Kaylee were spotted leaving to go shopping. And then there was also a grab from 1.20 p.m. when Kelsey and Kaylee were shown entering the home with Patrick and the poinsettia. And then again, sometime around 4.20, 4.30-ish, when Patrick is captured in the doorway by himself, either coming or going, it's not very clear. Now, this is big because Patrick claimed that they had exchanged Kaylee in the alleyway and that he hadn't entered Kelsey's apartment at all. Mm. And he had also claimed that he had been home at 4.30 p.m. enjoying Thanksgiving dinner when clearly he was not. On December 12th, the blood found in Kelsey's bathroom was DNA matched to Kelsey. Yeah. The police believed, based on the amount of blood discovered, that Kelsey had not survived the attack. 
Cheryl heartbreakingly acknowledged that she knew that her daughter was dead and that she believed that Patrick was the killer. This is just, I mean, it's always sad, but it's so hard over the holidays when over you the holidays are with all a these one year old baby. Yeah. Come on. Like, I can't. It makes me ill. Oh, it just, it. But now, now that mama needs to do everything she can to bring him down. And that's what she's damn well going to do, too. So the police agree with Cheryl. They're like, you are absolutely correct. We are fully investigating him. We are on this. And they get a search warrant for Patrick's ranch and the home that he shares with his mother. Now, I'm going to take a little detour because this was just such a crazy happenstance. When the cops get a search warrant, you know how you have to say like what the scope of the search is and what you're looking for, essentially. Yeah. One of the things that they're looking for is a DVD or VHS copy of The Wizard of Oz. So why would they be looking for that particular cinematic treasure? Because on November 22nd, 2018, the last day Kelsey was seen alive at 4.30 p.m., which is around the time they believe Patrick might have left Kelsey's apartment, Sheila McCorkle Frazee posted a picture of Dorothy and the Good Witch from Wizard of Oz on Facebook and wrote in all caps, yay, the witch is dead. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. So obviously the police are looking into this and they're trying to figure out if she was actually watching this movie why would she say that? Now, the book I used, which I'm, I'm going to talk about at the end because the title kind of gives something away, it kind of left it at that and, and moved on to the next thing. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I got to know more about this. So I looked into this. I Googled it and, and did some research. And it had nothing to do with the real Sheila Fraze. She apparently was a totally different woman who had the same name. And Patrick's mother's maiden name wasn't McCorkle. And it was a complete bizarre coincidence that this woman who is not related to them posted that on the exact day at that time. Is, did the book tell that or did the book not even figure that out? The book didn't get into it. And I don't know when the author wrote it, if he knew it at that point, because it was released to the media later on that she had no actual connection wow. to this. Wow. Yeah, so I'm writing this and I'm like, I hope they arrested that bitch. And then I read that they did an investigation into it and it was not the same woman. <laughs> but what a wild red herring, huh? That's crazy. And could you imagine if they spent like days researching like things about Wizard of Oz and like this poor woman who's just like enjoying Wizard of Oz on her own and is like, the witch is dead, but she like has nothing to do with this story. Yeah, she just really likes the Wizard of Oz. She's like live tweeting the Wizard of Oz. One journalist interviewed her and she was like, no, I don't have anything to do with that family. I'm not that guy's mother. And if I did, I'd whoop his ass until he told me where that girl was. <laughs> Same though. Yeah. So what the cops did find was a couple notes that seemed rather sketchy. One was a detailed note that Patrick wrote of his alleged movements on Thanksgiving Day. So he had written down basically his alibi before he needed one, which was sketchy because he is telling people that he had spoken to her on the phone as recently as the 25th. So why would he be writing down his whereabouts on the 22nd? Yeah. Second was a note that he had written to give to 
Kaylee's doctor. And it was basically saying these are the five people who can administer medical treatment to my daughter or like she can come into the doctor with them, you know? Okay. And Kelsey wasn't on that list. He's like not, he's not the brightest, is he? He's not the brightest crayon in the box. And he's that unfortunate combination of thinking he is when he's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) His mommy probably told him he was all the time. Oh, I bet. So by now, they had also combed through Patrick's phone logs, and they found out that on November 22nd at 4.30 p.m., he had called an Idaho number. And the area code where this phone number is from is very close to where Kelsey's phone had last pinged. So they traced the number, and it belonged to a woman named Crystal Kenny Lee. Crystal was a 32-year-old recently divorced mother of two who worked as a registered nurse in Twin Falls, Idaho. She was also a former rodeo queen with a passion for horses and a long, sordid, secret relationship with Patrick. The authorities traced her movements based on where the cell towers picked up her phone, and it looked like she had driven down to Colorado on the 24th, two days after Kelsey's disappearance, and made the 13-hour drive back the very next night. What's most interesting is that Kelsey's phone pinged at the exact same places on the way back from Colorado, which, of course, indicated that Crystal had taken Kelsey's phone potentially sent the fake Kelsey text and then destroyed and dumped it in Idaho. Wow. Okay. Also, on the day that Patrick's phone was seized, he had gone to his friend Joe Moore's house and used Joe's phone to call an Idaho number, which, of course, when the police follow up on this, that number was Crystal's phone number. Later, the police find out that Crystal had dumped her phone that exact day after she received that phone call. So they surmised that that call was to say that his phone had been confiscated and that she should destroy her phone and get a new phone and number. Okay. So they brought Crystal in for an interview and she just lied her ass off. And they knew already a lot of this stuff. They knew where she was. They knew what was going on. So they knew she was lying right away. She tried to say that Patrick was just a business associate. She said that they knew each other from the rodeo horse business circuit and that she had planned on doing some sort of horse deal with him. It was, I read a couple conflicting reports. It doesn't really matter. Either they were buying a horse together and they were going to look at a horse or she was planning on selling him a horse. Something was going with the buying and selling of horse like Oregon Trail over here. Okay. In any case, she said that the deal had fallen through and so she had just driven back the 13 hours empty-handed. And so the cops didn't believe this one bit, but they decided to let her go while they gathered more dirt on her. Yep. And who would you go to if you wanted to get some really scandalous dirt on someone? Perez Hilton. (laughs) I mean, in general, yes, probably true. But for most of us, you would go to their ex. Okay, yeah, no, totally. (laughs) (laughs) The investigators interviewed Crystal's ex-husband, Chad, and he said that though they had just ended their eight-year marriage earlier that summer, they were still living together to co-parent their kids. So he had a little bit more insight into her life and her comings and goings than most exes would. Okay. He told the police that Crystal had originally lied to him about her whereabouts on the 24th and 25th of November. 
She had originally told Chad that she was celebrating a girlfriend's birthday. But when the police contacted him for an interview and he was like, hey, Crystal, why do the police want to talk to me about this? She had finally come clean and said, well, actually, I had been in Colorado looking at a horse with Patrick. Now, why would she have lied to her ex-husband, they're already divorced, about seeing Patrick, especially if it was just a business deal? Yeah, she shouldn't have anything to cover up. Exactly. Well, Chad tells the police the reason why she lied is because he hated Patrick because Patrick was the reason that their marriage had broken up. He said that he had discovered that Patrick and Crystal had been sleeping together for all of 2016 and at least part of 2017. He knew that the couple had gotten together in college and that they had been on and off since. He said that he didn't know or want to know any more details, and he had no idea if they were still sleeping together. But he said, if you want to talk to Crystal's best friend, she probably would know. Okay. So the friend said that Crystal's been in love with Patrick since she was 18 or 19. In fact, Crystal referred to him as her first love. Apparently, Crystal had worked at a dude ranch in Colorado after high school, which is where they had met and began dating. Though Crystal had tried for years, she had never been able to get Patrick to commit the way she wanted. So eventually, she decided to break up with him. She married and had children with Chad. But the fire that she felt for her first love had never died. Whenever Patrick called, she went running. So the two resumed their relationship in 2016, and the affair even resulted in a pregnancy, which Crystal terminated. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's serious. Yeah, and it didn't say whether it was Crystal's idea or Patrick's, but it resulted in an abortion. So let's remember that Kelsey met Patrick in early 2016, got engaged, and moved to Colorado in May of 2016. So that entire time, he was having an affair with somebody else and getting somebody else pregnant. Yep. So the friend said that Crystal did not know about Kelsey either, at least at the beginning. By late 2017 and the beginning of 2018, Crystal had decided to leave her husband for Patrick. But when she told him that she was going to leave Chad, she was shocked when Patrick told her, that it maybe wasn't the right time because he was engaged and had a new baby. That was the very first time she found out about Kelsey and Kaylee at all. He's messy. Messy, messy, messy. He is Lionel Messi over here for our soccer fans. So yeah, this was the very first time, like I said, that she had heard about any other woman in Patrick's life, but it would not be the last. The friend said that in the summer of 2018, Patrick began to pressure Crystal to kill his baby's mother for him. Wow. According to the friend, Patrick told Crystal that Kelsey was an abusive, drug-addicted nightmare and that she had to kill her to save little Kaylee. Yeah, that really makes sense. He's essentially just trying to get someone else to, like, get rid of his mess. Yeah, he's also a 200-pound guy who has, like, a foot and 100 pounds on Kelsey. He can't stop her from abusing his child. He can't get a restraining order against her. He can't physically do anything against her himself. Yeah. I mean, the first thing to do would obviously to be report something like that to authorities if something bad is going on that's endangering your child. And she drops off the kid with him every day. He can refuse to relinquish her back into the mother's care if the mother's that destructive, you know? 
Yeah, and the friend said that the weirdest part about this whole situation was that the way Crystal brought it up to her was like as if she was actually contemplating doing it. Really? Yeah, it wasn't like, can you believe that? He's out of his mind. She was more like, well, this baby is like potentially being abused and it's a terrible situation. And I, you know, I could really do Patrick a favor. And I could be with him. And I could be with him. And the friend was like, you are insane. Go to the police right away. And she told her to go to the police, but they dropped the conversation and never came up again. So she didn't know whether or not Crystal had followed up, but she assumed not, obviously. Yeah. So this is clearly a big bombshell for the investigators. And at this point, they started piecing together what they believe happened. They do think that Kelsey was killed on Thanksgiving Day based on the fact that no security footage picked her up ever again after she went back into her house and nobody could reach her, right? Yep. So they don't think that Crystal actually killed Kelsey because she was very much alibied at this point and her phone showed that she was definitely in Idaho for the two days around the potential murder. Okay. But they do also know that she returned from Colorado with Kelsey's phone and it sounds like she was willing to do anything for Patrick. So they believe that she was very heavily involved in the cover-up of the crime, obviously. Okay. So by this point, Crystal had lawyered up and the DA and the investigators have to make a very difficult decision. Do they try to go for Crystal and Patrick and nail them both to the wall Or do they make a deal with the devil, Crystal, and get the evidence that they need to at least put Patrick away for life? Now, normally they wouldn't even consider this. They would be trying to, you know, get Patrick and get Crystal as an accomplice. Yep. But they don't have the physical evidence they need. They have the blood. They have that Patrick's lying, but they don't have a body. It's crazy that the blood doesn't act as some sort of body. You know what I mean? Like when there's that much blood at a crime scene, you know? Yeah, but any defense attorney could say somebody could spill this much blood and still survive and leave. You could be gone girling yourself, you know? Like Kelsey could have done this to set Patrick up or blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's ridiculous, but people could argue it, you know? Yeah. So after doing some real soul searching and looking at just the facts of the case, they decide that they'll do a deal with Crystal. Okay. So in exchange for a guilty plea for tampering with evidence, which we'll discuss more at sentencing about that deal, Crystal did agree to spill her guts and testify against her lover. So apparently this whole interview, she's crying, she's weeping, and she's telling them this whole sordid story. Okay. She confirmed what her friend had already said about them, that they were having an affair. She told them about her 2016 abortion, her separation and divorce, and then about finding out about Kelsey and Kaylee. Ugh, this poor girl. Ugh, I don't know. When we talk about the details of how she helped him, you're not going to feel that way anymore. I'm sure. But as of right now, what she's painting. Over the summer of 2018, Patrick repeatedly told Crystal that Kelsey was depressed, drug addicted, and an alcoholic. He said that she was violent and physically abusive to Kaylee to the point that he feared for his baby's life. Absolutely none of this was true at all, of course. Patrick even raised the stakes when Crystal was trying to say like, no, we'll just leave her then. And he got frustrated with her and said, you know what? If my baby dies, it's your fault because you won't do anything about it. 
So Crystal tearfully confessed, and this was probably the hardest thing for her to talk about, that she had actually tried to murder Kelsey three times on Patrick's request, but had chickened out each time. Okay. The first plot was to use Kelsey's love of Starbucks against her. Wow. Patrick wanted the nurse to poison a caramel macchiato with a fatal dose of Ambien and Valium. Okay. And then knock on Kelsey's door pretending to be a neighbor who brought over a coffee to thank her for something that she had done nice for the apartment complex. Okay. So Crystal did buy the coffee, but she didn't dose it. And instead, she just weirdly like left it on Kelsey's doorstep for no good reason. I mean, obviously we are podcasters, but I could never like drink a random cup of coffee that's left on my doorstep. If some stranger came (laughs) over to me and was like, here's a cup of coffee. I don't know you from anything, but I heard you love caramel macchiatos. I'd be like, what the hell? Yeah, no, I would dump it immediately down the sink and then like dispose of the cup outside. Yeah. (laughs) With gloves on and one of those like claw things. In your hazmat suit and your trash pickers. Yeah. Yeah. So next, Patrick had given Crystal a metal pipe and instructed her to ambush Kelsey as she returned home and beat her to death with it in the condo. Stealth. That's very stealth. Again, Crystal could not go through with it. No. And lastly, of course not, Patrick had provided her with an aluminum baseball bat with the same general idea. And Crystal said that she had parked outside of Kelsey's condo and sat in the car holding the baseball bat and considered it, but then, of course, drove away like any normal person who can't murder would do. Yeah, I think he's forgetting that he's the one with the rage issues. But she's also a nurse. She's supposed to save people's lives. Yeah, she's not this supposed is to take people's lives away. Going against her grain, yeah. Yeah. Patrick became so enraged with her failure to murder his fiance that the two stopped speaking for a few weeks. So when she saw that Patrick was calling her at 4.30 p.m. on November 22nd, she actually was really excited to see that he was calling because she thought that, you know, he was calling to wish her a happy Thanksgiving and maybe he had gotten over the whole murder plot thing. (sighs) But instead, he had a very different message. Apparently, he just stated plainly to her, you've got a mess to clean up and told her that she needed to get her ass to Colorado immediately and clean Kelsey's condo for him. Okay. Crystal said that she knew pretty much instantly that he had killed Kelsey, even though he didn't say as much at that point. And she knew that she was heading to a crime scene to clean it up. Crystal told Patrick that she couldn't leave before the 24th, but she would come straight there as soon as she could. Crystal switched her truck for her friend's black Volkswagen sedan and drove to Kelsey's with bleach, cleaning supplies, coveralls, gloves, like those little disposable booties. Yep. Like the whole nine yards. She knew exactly what she was coming to do. So I guess that he had insinuated that he had removed the body. So she knew at least she wasn't going to have to get rid of Kelsey's body. But she was still absolutely blown away when she entered the condo and saw that there was blood literally everywhere. It was like, she said, like a scary movie. It was like a horror film, how much blood there was. And, you know, like I said, she's a nurse, so she's not squeamish about these things. It just was more blood than she's ever seen in her entire life. Yeah. And it was on 
everything. I mean, we already talked about how it was all over the bathroom, but it was also in the main living area. It was on the ceiling, the walls, the furniture, even the baby gate. Oh my God. So Crystal said that she started crying and she just kind of sobbed while she worked and she spent the next four hours scrubbing and cleaning Eventually finding a tooth with the root still attached that Patrick had told her to look out for. Oh, my God. Yes, this was, we'll get into it later, but it was a very, very violent attack. So she just ended up chucking the tooth into a garbage bag along with other household items that were too bloody to clean, like the bath mat that Kelsey's mother had noticed was missing. Yeah. When the investigators stopped to ask her, why are you doing this? Like, what's going on in your head while well, you are scrubbing another woman's condo of her blood and finding her teeth, you know? Yep, 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 yep. And she said at this point she was terrified of Patrick and she was afraid if she didn't help him that he would kill her or her kids. She also tried to say that the scene was so horrifying that some part of her wanted to clean it up so that Kelsey's mother or daughter wouldn't have to see the pictures someday. And so she was like benevolently doing the family a favor by cleaning it up. (sighs) I mean, I feel like that's probably one of those things that you like tell yourself while you're doing, you know what I mean? Obviously, most human beings don't do as severe stuff like this. But you know, when you like tell yourself you're doing something to like rationalize it, Yes. And she rationalized the next bit too, which I I don't know, I don't think is true. She also told the investigators that she had purposely left a little blood around the TV stand and the toilet, hoping that they would find it and catch Patrick. Yeah. Which I don't know because none of her actions align with that. I mean, she would have saved the tooth or something and then brought it to the authority, you know, or sent it to them anonymously even. Like, here's the tooth. Like, yeah, it just, she could have also anonymously given them the cell phone. She didn't have to take it and destroy it. There's, I don't know, her actions just don't really line up with her trying to leave evidence as a tip, you know? Yeah, yeah. So after she was done cleaning, she picked up fast food for Patrick to deliver it to him. Also, how are you going to eat after all this? I can't. And when she brought it to him at his ranch, he told her what went down that day. Patrick told Kelsey Thanksgiving afternoon that he had a special romantic surprise for her. Wow. Kelsey does actually sound a lot like me. She loves Starbucks flavors. She loves emojis. And she also loved scented candles. She loved scented candles. So he told her that he had bought a bunch for her and he wanted to play a romantic game where he was going to blindfold her and she had to guess what the scents were. So she was really into this. She was really, really trying to get their love life back on track. And she was actually touched at the gesture. So she very happily said, yes, she put the baby in a bouncer, like a jumper thing in Uh the next room. And then let Patrick blindfold her. So as she leaned forward to start smelling the candles, Patrick swung a baseball bat, which struck Kelsey in the head. And then he did it several more times. Yeah, I remember this sick piece of shit fuck face. Yeah. So Kelsey struggled mightily. But like I said before, there's 
a hundred pounds and a foot of difference between these people. And Patrick's extremely strong. So he is just, I mean, just following her around as she crawls and beating her to death. And he told Crystal that it wasn't fast or easy, but he eventually killed her. And he also told Crystal that Kelsey's last words were, please stop. Oh, my God. That's like, how is Crystal just sitting with him? I don't know. I really don't know. And uh, the DA later said at the trial, like, think about Kelsey's character, that even her last utterance to the person that's killing her is sweet and polite. Please, please stop, you know? And that's like who she was to the very end. And this monster, monster, like it's not easy to beat somebody to death. I mean, he had to make a choice every time he raised that bat. Yep. Oh God, she must've been so scared too of the baby. She knows her baby's in the next room. Yeah, no, I can't. I'm getting chills. It makes me feel terrible. So (sighs) Patrick then put Kelsey's body in a black plastic tote that surveillance cameras did pick up in his truck going back and forth from Kelsey's house. He took the tote and the baby, he locked the condo, and then he dropped off Kelsey's body in the hayloft of a barn. Like he put the whole tote thing in this hayloft of a barn that he had been renting. Okay. Later on, the police uh, on Crystal's tip would search this barn and a cadaver dog would uncover human blood. Okay. At some point, he retrieved the tote with Kelsey's body in it, and Crystal and Patrick burned the tote and the body together in a fire pit on Patrick's ranch. So I guess he had a 100-gallon burn trough that they used, and they also placed all of the items that Crystal had confiscated from Kelsey's house, including Kelsey's blood-soaked Bible. Oh, my God. Hmm. So Crystal had helped with this as well. She said that she collected wood for the fire and Patrick poured gasoline over everything to accelerate the burn. Later, cops would find security footage from a gas station of Patrick filling up the same gas can that was obviously found on his property. Okay. The killer couple then placed sheets of metal over the blaze to cook down the remains, make it even hotter. And then that also served the dual purpose of not making it a huge bonfire that would draw attention, obviously. Crystal also alleged that Sheila, Patrick's mom, had watched them from the porch. Wow. So there was some strong suggestion that Sheila at least knew about the murder. But the police never found enough evidence against her. So Patrick's mother was never charged with anything related to Kelsey's murder. Crystal used Kelsey's phone to send the text to Cheryl and Kelsey's boss and then called and texted Patrick for a day or two to make it seem like Kelsey was still alive. Oh, my God. When Crystal returned to Idaho while the fire was still burning, she destroyed the phone and threw the broken pieces into a ravine. Again, the cops are like, why? Yeah. Why would you do this? And I guess she just like miserably said, I was in love with him. I don't know. I loved him. Oh, my God. As part of her deal, Crystal walked the investigators through Kelsey's apartment and also the Frazee Ranch 
to show where the burn pile was. And, you know, both programs I watched has some footage of her doing it. And she's like kind of tearing up while she's doing it. She's talking about how high the blood spatter on the walls was and where exactly everything was. And it's just disgusting to think about. So they were never able to find much of anything of Kelsey, unfortunately. They did find a tooth fragment in the burn pit, and they were able to prove that it belonged to a human female, but they were unable to extract enough DNA to make a match to Kelsey, unfortunately. Okay. Regardless, they now definitely had enough to go to trial and hopefully lock this monster up for the rest of his natural life. Patrick was arrested on December 21st, 2018. So Merry Christmas, you piece of shit. And his trial began in November of 2019. The prosecution said that Patrick was a cold-blooded manipulator who obsessively controlled access and custody to and of his daughter. And that Kelsey had began to become disillusioned with the relationship So there was a real fear on Patrick's part that if he broke up with Kelsey or let her go, that she would take baby Kaylee to Washington. Okay. And that that was the motivation behind getting rid of Kelsey so he could have full custody of the child. Yes, psychopath. So yeah, instead of, you know, doing the normal thing, divorcing, or I guess they weren't married yet, but separating and having joint custody... He decided to try to dupe a woman that he had preyed upon to do the killing for him. And when that failed, he beat her to death himself with their baby daughter in the next room. Obviously, Crystal was the best witness against Patrick, and her testimony was the cornerstone of the prosecution strategy. But they did also have some of the forensics, the blood, the tooth. They had the phone records, the fake texts and calls, et cetera. So Crystal ends up being the one that helps prosecute him? 100%. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, she was definitely the linchpin of the whole prosecution. Okay. Patrick's friend Joe also testified that Patrick had hated Kelsey. And when he talked to him about her, he only referred to her as Kaylee's mom. In a conversation while running bulls on Joe's ranch, Patrick had told him that he had figured out a way to kill Kaylee's mom. Joe said he replied, don't even talk about things like that. Get that shit out of your head. And Patrick had just laughed and said, hey, if there's no body, there's no crime, right? Wow. In a recorded phone conversation with Joe after the murder, Patrick asked Joe if the police could detect blood on clothes that had already been washed. And he also complained about the insane media attention Kelsey's disappearance was garnering. On the phone conversation that was, like I said, recorded, he said, man, if I had known it would have blown up this big, I never would have. He didn't finish the sentence, but it was pretty obvious to, I think, everyone where he was going with that one. Wow. Wow. Patrick's attorneys tried to paint Crystal as a lying killer who had killed Kelsey herself who was throwing Patrick under the bus to save her own skin. The defense pointed out that in the two separate security camera shots, Patrick was wearing the same clothes and that the clothes do not appear to have any blood on them. If the scene was as horrific as Crystal described, how could he have possibly killed her without getting his clothes soaked in blood? Are they saying like there's no blood on it now? Like couldn't he have washed him? 
Well, there was no blood found in Kelsey's washing machine either. Does he not have a washing machine? Well, no, they're saying that when he's coming out of Kelsey's after the murder, he's completely clean. There's no blood on his clothes. And he couldn't but have that's... covered himself like some American psycho oh, shit? 100%. I mean, my theory is that either he had a change of clothes, which is possible, but really I think what he did was tell Kelsey, you know, that they're having this like romantic moment. He could have either before she had the blindfold on or even when she had the blindfold on, taken off all of his clothes except for his boxer shorts and then murdered her. And that would make sense with why he didn't have any blood on his outer clothes, but why he also asked Joe about getting bloodstains out of clothes because there could have been bloodstains on his boxers. Yep, okay. That's my theory about it, at least. When Patrick's attorneys crossed Crystal, they made sure to discuss the three times she had admitted to attempting to kill Kelsey and made it clear that had she actually been charged with three counts of attempted murder, accessory to murder, and tampering with evidence, she would have been looking at more like 144 years in prison instead of the max sentence for what she was pleading guilty to, which was only three years. Wow. So that would be a strong motivation for throwing somebody under the bus. Yes. And at this point, I could actually see how a juror could be swayed into potentially believing that there was enough reasonable doubt in this case. However, the prosecution's next bombshell witness totally blew that out of the water. Only a couple days before the trial began, an inmate named Jacob Bentley came forward and produced notes written on toilet paper and paper napkins from Patrick. Those notes begged Jacob and his gang friends to kill witnesses for the prosecution, including DA Dan May, Crystal, of course, Crystal's best friend, the investigators, his friend Joe and Joe's partner, and even Kelsey's mother, Cheryl. Oh, my God. Also, why don't you just go for one? Go for Crystal? Why, why do you got to make this like a whole list of people that they're definitely not going to kill? <laughs> I mean, you can't have everything. This is like my daughter, my three-year-old daughter making her Santa wish list. I'm like, oh, totally. honey, you're not going to get all that. Totally. <laughs> yeah, let's focus on the ones you really want because you're not going to get all those. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I think he has the mental capacity of a three-year-old. So that makes sense. So he wrote on the notes, like on the top of each note, flush when you're done using the non-grammatically correct version of your. Oh, my God. And he said that all of the people on the list needed to disappear unseen until at least November 22nd of the trial. He wrote that if the hit was on, Jacob should tell his mother, Patrick's mother, Sheila, in code by saying either all of the horses are taken care of or the elk hunt was successful. Oh my God, these two. Unbelievable. Like facepalm. In another note, he wrote, help, help me please, man. I will repay however. My life and my little girl's life depend on you. He asked in another note if Jacob needed expenses to travel to Idaho to kill Crystal. 17 notes were passed to Jacob from Patrick in this fashion over a 10-day period. Oh, my God. And all of the notes were confirmed to be 100% Patrick's handwriting, of course. Of course, yeah. And they could probably match all of his grammatical errors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't take an expert to do that. No. <laughs> With that, the prosecution rested, and surprisingly, the defense did as well. They didn't call a single witness. 
So Patrick had been pissed that his attorneys didn't call any character witnesses, but no one, absolutely no one would testify on his behalf except for his mother. And she couldn't testify for a couple reasons. Number one, no one believes the mother. That's not a good witness because everybody knows mothers will lie of for their children. Of course. And number two, there was still some suspicion at this time that she had had something to do with the murder or at least had knowledge of the murder. So if she got on the stand and she's on record getting cross-examined about what she knew about this, she could incriminate herself, you know? Yep. So he had absolutely nobody. He also wanted his attorneys to find witnesses that would say that Kelsey had substance abuse issues and was violent towards Kaylee, but it wasn't true. So no one would say that. They couldn't find a single person that had even an iota of doubt about her being the best mom in the world, you know? So they had nothing. In closing, they argued really the only thing they could other than the t-shirt being clean. And their other thing was that Kelsey's blinds were open for 24 hours during the Thanksgiving holiday and that none of the neighbors had seen or heard anything. So that was all they had. And then the main point that they made was that in order to believe the prosecution, you had to believe Crystal. And was she a trustworthy person? Yeah. And I can see that clearly she's somebody who's a cheater, that you can say that she's not a trustworthy person. You can say that she has a motivation behind testifying, obviously. It doesn't mean she's not telling the truth. Yeah. The prosecution closed with a statement about how Kelsey was a beautiful and successful young mother who was excitedly planning for the future. She was cooking for Thanksgiving dinner. She had just bought a poinsettia. Hell, she thought that next year they were potentially planning a wedding and buying a ranch. And all the while she's doing that planning, Patrick had been coldly, callously planning her death. The judge reminded the jury that there were six charges against Patrick that they had to decide upon. There was first-degree murder, three charges of attempted murder, one count of crime of violence, as well as tampering with a deceased body. And then he let the jury leave to deliberate. The jury came back in only three and a half hours, which is hella fast when you're talking about all those charges they had to discuss. Yep. And they found Patrick guilty, 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 (laughs) on everything. A guilty, guilty, guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Guilty. Yes. I don't know if you heard, but guilty. At sentencing, the judge said, Kelsey Barrett spent the last night of her life caring for you and you viciously beat her to death the following day. After you beat her, you burned her body like trash. Kelsey was a wonderful mother and a beloved daughter. Your crimes deserve the absolute maximum punishment and I intend to do that. Then he sentenced him to life without the possibility of parole. That is such a deserved LWAP. LWAP, baby. Plus, Andy, 156 extra years for the other charges. Whoa. So if he becomes a vampire, lives forever, he's still got 156 years after he dies. Whoa. Crystal Kenny Lee pled guilty to tampering with evidence and was given the maximum sentence of three years. DA Dan May later said, we did a deal with the devil and I am not proud of it. It is not right. And I won't even try to justify it. And this clearly affected him. He even started to kind of tear up and cry a little on the 48 hours talking about Kelsey and how 
he was so upset that Crystal didn't receive more of a punishment because all he could think of was the ample opportunities that she had to save Kelsey's life. It clearly like really affected him. But the other prosecutors were like, yeah, but without Crystal's testimony, we might never have been able to put him away. I mean, most likely not. I just, they didn't have a lot of other physical evidence, you know? Yeah. So I think that the deal with the devil was absolutely warranted in this case. In June of 2020, only 60 days into her three-year term, Crystal's attorneys tried to get her paroled to a halfway house due to the increased danger of catching COVID in a prison setting. They also argued that not only was it dangerous to her health, if she was released, she'd be able to work on the front lines as a registered nurse. And now everyone was really outraged about this. There was like a change.org petition that went around. All of the prosecutors in the DA on this case were like, absolutely not. We wish we could have given her more time. Do not let her out after serving two months. So luckily that appeal was denied, but she never did end up serving her full sentence. She ended up getting paroled this past March of 2021. So she now walks among us and she is going to get to enjoy this Thanksgiving and Christmas and holiday season with her kids in a way that Kelsey never will. Yep. And Cheryl will never get to hug her own child ever again. And Kaylee will grow up probably not having any real memories of her mother other than the ones that her grandmother tells her, you know? Yep. It's total bullshit. But speaking of Kaylee, she was adopted by Cheryl and is being raised as a Barrett with Kelsey's family. So. So many blessings and goodwill and love being sent out to that family. I am sure that this is a terrible season of the year for you. And if you do end up listening to this, we just want you to know our hearts are with you. Yes. Oh, and also if anybody knows, I couldn't find anything, but let us know if there's any sort of like education fund for Kaylee or any way that Andy and I could make a contribution. Amazing. Yeah. So if you heard this, please, please let us know. Yeah, that's a very sad Thanksgiving Day tragedy. Oh, and another source other than the two episodes of the TV shows I mentioned already, I used The Murder of Kelsey Barrett by Rod Cackley. That does give it away. It did give it away. So I listened to some review or some note where somebody said, can you uh, give the sources in the back so you don't spoil the show? So I am taking constructive criticism. You do that very well. (laughs) Thank you, Andy. Thank you. And thanks to all of you. I think, Andy, instead of doing a normal in conclusion, because it is Thanksgiving, I think we should close on something that we are each grateful for. Okay. I am thankful for science. That's a good one. Yes. And I am grateful for that as well, because it allows you to mostly safely come travel to see me. Yes. And that makes my heart so very happy. I'm extra thankful for all of our listeners who have really helped us turn this little podcast that could into a thing. Yeah. So I I appreciate all of you and and I hope wherever you are that you're having a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and have an extra piece of pumpkin pie on us. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, also guys, we've had so many wonderful reviews lately that if you're wondering, wait, I left a review, but I don't know how to get my stickers. We are still doing that. And in fact, Andy just designed some really, really cool new stickers that I just got yesterday. They're so awesome. So all you have to do is screenshot your review and either DM it to us on Facebook or Instagram or mail it to me, email it to me at <laughs> lovers at love. Yeah. <laughs> Print it out. Fax it. You could fax and it. We will send you a sticker. So thanks everyone. <laughs> Have a wonderful holiday. And Yay! next episode, Andy and I are together in studio. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye.